And with those thoughts of God's Word in our minds, let's take our Bibles out. And you can remain standing. And open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. As we continue and conclude our look this morning at these verses, verses 14 through 21. We'll read those verses this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. And let us give thanks and give good attention as God speaks to us through his word. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, again, your word is so precious to us. Make it more precious to us. Make it to to truly be to us as sweeter than honey. Let it be to us more valuable than gold, than much fine gold. We pray this morning that you would help us to rejoice in your word and to rejoice in what you are doing in us and teaching us through this word. We pray that you would bless us through Jesus Christ, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So we are this morning uh, in our second look at this passage. We're picking up our look at this prayer of the Apostle Paul. And remember, this is a prayer that Paul is uh, praying here. He is saying that because God has, if we look back at the context which we did last week, because God has through Jesus' life and death has reconciled Jew and Gentile together into one man and reconciled that one man to himself Uh, in the church. Paul says here in verse 14, he says, for that reason, for this reason, he says, I bow my knees before the Father. And he prays. He prays for the family of God. He prays for that family of which God is the Father. That is, he prays for the church of which he has been speaking. The church that you and I are a part of this morning by God's grace. And as we saw last week, and again, we don't have time to go back through everything from last week. If, you're, if you weren't here and want to get the full teaching on this passage, jump on our website, jump online, and you can watch or listen to last week's sermon. But we saw last time that Paul's prayer is arranged sort of in a, like a stack or like a pyramid, sort of cascades forward, you know, this so that, so that this, and this so that that all sort of moving along and leading forward until he gets to the end, to the the top, the pinnacle, the the top rung of this prayer, the ultimate goal, which he gives to us there in verse 19. At the end, he says, so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
to be filled with the fullness of God, which means nothing less than to be filled with, with everything with which God is filled that can be communicated to us as creatures. You know, maybe a time for a quick theology lesson. When we look at God and we consider God, we consider the things that are part of His nature. We often call them His attributes, those things that are true of God. And we, when we look at them, we divide them into two categories. Those, first of all, that are part of God in Himself, and can't, we can't have a part of it. Think of God's self-existence. We are, we are contingent creatures. We are dependent creatures. We don't exist because of our own selves. We are not sufficient unto ourselves. But God is. So that is an attribute of God that He does not communicate to us. His, his self-existence, His omnipotence, the fact that He is uh, able to do whatever He wills to do. We are not able to, to do everything that we are able to do. But then there's another category of God's attributes that we call the communicable attributes of God. Those attributes that God can and does share with us as his creatures uh, to a certain extent. None of them to the degree that God has them because he has every aspect of his nature he has in full and, and perfect measure, complete. We don't. But when we think of the love of God, we think that is something that He gives to us. We have the capacity to love. Grace is an attribute of God. But we have the capacity to a degree to be gracious. Uh, his goodness, another thing that we are able to a degree to be good. And so there are some things that God wants to fill us with, to fill us with the fullness of Himself, that we are able to to pursue, but there are some, like self-existence, that we will never be able to have because it's not part of our nature as creatures. And so what we really mean when we talk about being filled with all the fullness of God is that we are being conformed into the image of Christ, to use biblical language. Over in Colossians chapter 1, I mentioned this verse last week. Let me read it again. Colossians chapter 1, Paul says this, Again, another prayer. He says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's what Paul's talking about when he prays that we would be filled with all the fullness of God. So the purpose of Paul's prayer is for God to make us like Christ. And that is every Christian's Goal. That is every Christian's purpose. It's the goal which we pursue. It's the goal which we press forward toward. And it's a process, remember, as, as Paul prays about it here in, in Ephesians. God works in us certain things toward that goal, several steps that Paul gives us, even in his uh, brief consideration of it here. In order to be filled with all the fullness of God, and again, we're gonna, Paul is leading up to that, 
We saw last week that it meant for us to be strengthened in the inner man. Verse 16. He said that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. You need to be strengthened. I need to be strengthened in your inner being, in your inner man, to be built up spiritually in our heart and our soul. We saw that it is there that the battle that we are waged in in this world begins, and it is there that it rages, and it is there that it is won or lost. And so we need strength in that battle. And Paul prays that the Father would grant to us that we would be strengthened. That we'd be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit working in us. The Holy Spirit who is an inexhaustible fountain of resource for that very purpose. Or as Paul says it here, that it is according to the riches of His glory. And what a Beautiful, what a powerful statement of the superabundant efficiency of the resources of God in sanctifying you. As God works in your life, Christian, it's not like he's got this meager little toolbox that he can work with to do a little bit here and a little bit there. He has all of the power of omnipotent God to do that. He has the Holy Spirit who dwells in each of us, to work in us, to do that. Power for living the Christian life. Power to become more like Christ day by day. As we saw in Colossians, power for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. So we saw that we need to be strengthened in the inner man. We saw last week also that we then are to be indwelt by Christ. That's the second half of verse 17. He says, so that, or the first half, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And that's connected to verse 16. So verse 16 says, according to the riches of his glory, that he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see that cascading effect, this, so that, that. And in this, we saw that what is really a a restatement of what he prayed for in verse 16, for the Spirit to strengthen you, beloved, is for Christ to dwell in your heart. Paul prays, and and we are to be desiring that and pursuing an ever-increasing indwelling of Christ. Elsewhere, Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. And that's the same thing. That's what it means to be Uh, conformed to the image of Christ. That's what it means to have Christ dwelling in us, to become more trusting of Him, to be be more obedient to Him. It's not the idea of of being more and more uh, filled, more and more that Christ dwells more, isn't that you, you don't have Christ. We talked about that last week. But that, and we, we use the picture of someone moving into a house, You move into the house, but as time goes on, you become more settled in the house. And to be filled with the fullness of God includes uh, Christ becoming more settled in you. 
as you become more obedient to him, as you, you trust him more, as you become more obedient, as you love him more, as you love his word more, as you look to him, as you seek to obey him more. And we are never to forget, and we need to never forget this as we move on, and Paul reminds us here, that these are things that we cannot work up on our own and just do on our own. We can't do them by ourselves, but they come through living and increasing faith. Again, verse 17. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts, how? Through faith. Our lives are to be lives of continuing, increasing, functioning faith. Again, we're not talking here about that faith that God gives us that, that, that receives our justification. That happens once. But that faith, that same faith, continues on. We continue to believe. We continue to trust. We trust more. We believe better. That's what he's talking about here. Our lives are to be those lives of continuing, increasing, functioning faith, depending on Christ depending on the work of His Spirit, depending on the Word, even as we work out our salvation, even as we press toward that mark. So we are to be strengthened in the inner man and indwelt by Christ. And now we pick up the rest of it this morning. We see that the next thing is that, again, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that, so see, we continue to see this cascading effect that you being rooted and grounded in love let's stop there being rooted and grounded in love that's the next thing that Paul talks about here and this is necessary if we are to be filled with all the fullness of God it is necessary that we be rooted and grounded in love and in this we see sort of a twofold way of looking at it. We see a, an, an objective truth and we see a, a subjective command. We'll see those as we look at it here. But verse 17 says that you being rooted and grounded in love. So it's both, it's both an effect of what comes before and a cause for what comes after. And it's indispensable to both of those. If we go back to our, the very basis of your salvation, Christian, And we think about this in in that positional way. In that salvation, you are rooted and grounded in love. And of course, that's not some dissociated love. It's not love in some abstract way. And it's not your love. It's not your love for anything or anyone in particular. It has to do with your salvation, but the foundation, the rooting of your faith and your redemption is the love of God shown to you. Think about John 3.16. It's not because you so loved God. The Bible says that just the opposite is actually the case. No, beloved, it is because God loved that he sent his son, so that whoever believes in him could have eternal life. 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son to be the propitiation, the sacrifice for our sins. Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrates his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And of course, in that great passage in Ephesians chapter 2 here, Paul talks about how our, our justification took place because of the great love with which he loved us. So first and foremost, there is that love that you are rooted in that, that is God's love. But Paul goes on to talk about here that, that if, if you are being strengthened with power through the Spirit, if Christ is more and more dwelling in your heart through faith, then you are, in your life, you are subjectively being more rooted and grounded in love as you experience that love of God, as you live in the soil of that love. Because that is what Christ and the Spirit give, and it is what they work in us. It's the foundation from which they work, that divine love, and it's what he causes to be true in us. Love, of course, is the most enduring and the primary fruit of the Spirit in the life of a Christian. Just as your salvation is because God has loved you, your life is to issue in love. Now abide faith, hope, and love. These three, Paul says, but the greatest is love. Love is the fulfilling of the law, he says elsewhere. And of course, our primary goal, again, to be filled with all the fullness of God is to be like Christ, and that means love. And of course, that means that we must be rooted and grounded in love. Love from God issuing in love for God and for one another. Notice the terms that he uses here. He says, first, rooted in love. That's a a, a botanical illustration. It's a great picture, a great image. What do roots do in a plant? Well, they give support, first of all, right? They give a, a base, They reach down, they spread out to give a solidity and to give a sort of platform for a tree or a plant to keep it standing, to keep it strong. Amazing, just natural expression of God's God's wonder as he gives plants these root systems. Think of the redwoods out here. You know, 350 feet tall, some of them. Think of the Just think of the physics of the stresses put on those trees, and yet they stay standing up. Why? Well, because they have strong root systems. So they give support. The roots give support. They also draw nourishment from the soil all the way up into the tree. One of those giant redwoods can use up to 500 gallons of water per day. And that's the, the, the idea of God's love that we have been rooted in and that we continue to be rooted in. The love of God for us. Love is the soil in which we are rooted. But again, 
being rooted, drawing nutrients from that divine soil cannot help but be reflected in the fruit on the branches. As we are rooted in love, we will give forth love. So there's both that this is already true of you, and yet it is to be increasingly true of you. We are to grow down into love, into God's love. We are to grow down. We are to spread out into love, which only happens when we are indwelt by Christ and strengthened in the inner man by the Spirit. Jesus gave the same type of picture when he said, I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. And he added, of course, that apart from him, we can do nothing. And as Paul prays for for us Christians here, that we would be strengthened with power through the Holy Spirit, and therefore that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith, he reminds us that that only happens because we have been planted in and are continually rooted in the love of Christ for us. Love is the soil, and it's a good, fertile soil. And what happens when a tree has good soil is that it produces good fruit. So we're rooted in the love of Christ. That's one of the terms that he uses. Paul really wants us to understand this, so he adds another uh, illustration. He says not only that we are rooted in love, but he says to be grounded in love. That's a different picture, a different image. This word is a word that, that has to do with providing a foundation for a building. In fact, the noun version of this word is translated as foundation throughout the Bible. In fact, in Ephesians 2.20 it is. And the verb is, is talking about giving a solid footing, giving an orientation for a building that then is going to be built up. And again, love is so basic to our lives. Our forgiveness of sins, our justification, as I mentioned, is because of the great love with which God loved us. The, love, the importance of the love is seen in that phrase there where, where Paul says that we are to uh, be rooted and grounded in love. In the original, the word love is put at the beginning of that phrase, which gives emphasis to it. It makes it stand out. So Paul's analogies here are mixed. There's a plant, there's a building. We're planted in love, and our foundation for being built up is in love. We grow down into it, our vital nourishment. We draw that from that soil, which is love, and we grow on it. It is the foundation from which we are being built, Peter says, as a spiritual house. As we sang in, one of, in our song, uh, that we love because he loved us. We see, that, we see that in where Paul includes this part of his prayer. There's the indwelling of the Spirit and of Christ that comes first. It must come first. The indwelling and the activity of the Spirit then takes the love that God extends to us and makes it everything to us and makes it part of us and makes it the fruit of our lives. And it's then and only then that we can hope to see the next thing for which Paul prays. And it's here 
that we really begin to see what Paul's really getting at here. He wants us to be strengthened in the inner man. He wants us to be indwelt by Christ. And due to our being rooted and grounded in love, he prays that we, that each of you here this morning, that I as well, that we would all be enabled in understanding. He wants us to understand something. Paul wants you to understand something. The Spirit wants you to understand something this morning. He prays that we will be strong enough in understanding to be able to grasp the most glorious thing in the universe for a sinner to be able to grasp. To comprehend, he says, and know something. And what is it that Paul is praying that we will comprehend, that we will know? Look at verse 18. He said that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. The love of Christ is what Paul wants us to get. And first he... he, pictures it, the the understanding that he wants us to have by saying the breadth and the length and the height and the depth. He wants us to understand all of the dimensions of the love of Christ for us. There's an old song, another old song illustration by a singer named Donnie Brooks. I don't know if any of you ever even remember him. Um, He sang a song called Mission Bell. And part of the words were, My love is higher than a mission bell, deeper than a wishing well, wider than the widest sea, longer than a memory. Well, beloved, this morning, the love of Christ for you is higher and deeper and wider and longer than that. It is as long as eternity. It's wider than the ages. It was set on you Not when you trusted in him. Not when you were born. Not when the world was created. It was set on you personally by God in eternity past. And it will continue forever. It is as high as heaven itself as it brought Christ down from there to this earth to live and to die, that you, Christian, might never die. It is deeper than the pit of hell from which the actions of Christ brought you up. And it's the same love that's shown to every Christian from the beginning to the end. And so Paul says here that he wants us to understand with all the saints a common reason to praise God. Paul says, I want you to know that. I want you to grasp that. I pray, he says, that you will understand all of those dimensions of how much Christ loves you, Christian. But then, but then he introduces a problem with that, a problem with that desire. Look at what he says in verse 19. He says, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. 
Literally, to know the totally beyond the ability to be known love of Christ. That's what Paul wants you to know. That gives us a clue as to the enormity of the task. Paul is asking us to know what is unknowable. To be measuring those dimensions of Christ's love for you and realizing that no matter how long the measuring tape you use, it will not nearly be long enough to measure. Paul himself is also unable to express it adequately. He says it surpasses knowledge. Now, he's doing an admirable job of it, but it falls short because he only has finite human language to try to express infinite divine love. But he's doing his best. Sometimes a child will do that. If you're a parent, you've experienced that, where a child tries to express their love to you in their own meager language, their own meager ability. There's a touching scene in one of the Avengers movies when Iron Man's daughter says to him, I love you 3,000. That's the idea. That's the best that she could do. And Paul says, I want you to know the love that surpasses knowledge. Well, how can we know the unknowable? We can If we notice carefully Paul's language, he tells us as much. Because look at what he says. He prays that that we might know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now many of you remember and understand through your study of the Scripture and through through sermons and teachings that the word know in the Bible very often means to know by experience not just head knowledge. And that's true here. The only way that we can fully know the love of Christ is by experiencing the love of Christ. You can't quantify Jesus' love for you. You can't say, well, here's how much Jesus loves me. We can't measure the dimensions of it, but we can know it by seeing what it did. And that's what love really is, right? Something else we know about love is it is action. It's not just a a calculation. It is doing. It is acting. It is giving. It is serving. What did Christ do for you? There was a popular, I guess today we'd call it a meme. Back in the, the day it wasn't called that. It was a phrase that was put on bumper stickers and on t-shirts. Saw it in Christian bookstores and such. It went like this. I asked Jesus, how much do you love me? He answered, this much, and he stretched out his arms and died. It's a little trite, but it points us in the right direction of Christ's love. That's how much he loved you. In that he died for you. The only way to know Christ's love is to experience it. And Christian, you have experienced it. You experience it daily. So to be strengthened by the 
the, the inner man, to be strengthened by the Spirit in the inner man, to be indwelt by Christ, to be rooted and grounded in love, only then are you enabled in your understanding to grasp such an incomprehensible gift, an incomprehensible love. And in that way, Paul says at the end, that we are, will be filled with the fullness of God. In this we are filled up with God as we are transformed into the image of the one who loved us through the work of the Spirit. By the way, as we're going through that, did you catch the the Trinitarian structure of, of this prayer? That God, Paul prays, that God the Father would grant you to be strengthened by the Spirit that Christ might dwell in your hearts. And Paul wants his readers, he wants us, he wants all the members of this glorious family of the Father that is named by the Father, this dwelling place of God, the church, to have an increased presence of the Spirit and of Christ in our lives, to be a plant and to be a building at the same time, growing down and growing up, and to comprehend the incomprehensible, to fill us up with him whom the heavens cannot contain. That's what Paul's praying for here, for you. Can God do that? Well, Paul knows that he can, and just thinking of that causes Paul to break out in these last two verses into doxology, praise, a word of glory and a praise to God in verses 20 and 21. Look at how he concludes He says, now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Not only can God do this, Paul says, but he can do far more than that. Far more than we can ask. Do you think your prayers are are taxing on God's abilities? You think your need is is too much for God to be able to do? Paul says no. Do you think that, sure, God is, is powerful, but my situation that I'm in right now is really difficult, maybe too much for God? It's not. God is able to do far more than you will ever be able to ask or think or to consider. You know, some of us sitting today, sitting here today, some of, some of your loved ones have some pretty big problems going right now. But no matter how big your problem is, and don't take this tritely, it's been overused, but no matter how big your problem is, God is bigger. Paul's language shows that, that even he is at a, lo- a loss for how to explain it. And here he just decides to just dump these qualifiers on it. He says, able to do far more. Not just far more, but far more abundantly. And not just far more abundantly, but far more abundantly beyond all that you could ask or think. Even more than we can think. So powerful is our God. And that power is working not just for us, not just for our benefits, but in us. He says it's according to the power at work within us. Because the power that is working within us is the power of God, because it's the power of the Spirit, because it's the power of Christ 
Because the Spirit dwells in us. Who is the Spirit of God? Who is the Spirit of Christ? Who is a member of the Holy Trinity? Paul prayed. Paul prayed he prayed for that back in chapter 1 in the first prayer of this book where he prayed that you might understand what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us that believes. In chapter 2 where he talks about uh, God loving us and God saving us, he talks about the fact that the same power that was at work in Christ and even raising him from the dead, that same power is at work in you. And that's what he's saying here. And it's all for his glory. It's all for his glory. To him, Paul says, be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. And that's the goal of all of it, isn't it? So that is Paul's prayer for the church here in Ephesians 3. He prays that his readers would be strengthened in the inner man, that they would be, that you would be indwelt by Christ, that you would be rooted and grounded in love, and that you would be strong enough to comprehend and enabled to comprehend God's grace and love shown to you in Christ. That's what Paul is praying. But let's not let Paul be the only one praying for that. Let's each of us pray for that, for ourselves and for one another. We've seen that God is easily able to answer such prayers, but does he answer such prayers? Yes, he does. And how? How does he do that? How does he strengthen us? How does he cause that that fruit to come from the root and up into us and out? How do we express that love? How do we become more like Christ practically? Well, we don't have time to look at it this morning, but that's what the rest of the book of Ephesians is about. Read it. Read the book of Ephesians. If, if you need, only read chapters 4 through 6 and see how God wants to work in you to do these things that Paul prays for. I'll leave that up to you to see because it's what the rest of the book is about. But know that Paul wants you to grasp as well as you may just how much Christ loves you. You won't be able to comprehend it. You won't be able to get it all in your mind and say, there, I put a bow on it. It's all done. I know. But day by day, you can experience it. As you look to him, as you look to his word, as you look to the the work of his spirit, in all of those ways and, and a thousand more, Christ will make manifest to you that love that made him come and die for you. And to that, let us say, amen. Father, we pray that you would help us. We pray, uh, as, as Paul did, Lord, that you would, would cause us to be strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner being. We pray, Lord, that Christ may, may dwell in our hearts more and more through faith. We pray that as we are rooted and grounded in your love, that we would see that love flow out from us. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to know as well as we may, to experience as well as we can that great love 
with which Christ has loved us. The greatest love ever. The love which saved us from our sins and the love which made us right with you. Help us to rejoice in that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.